0: Well, let me get you to open the Bible to Acts chapter 21, which you'll find in the Pew Bible on page 931, or you can find it also in the bulletin. If you would please, brothers and sisters, stand for the reading of God's holy word. Acts chapter 21 beginning at verse 27. When the seven days were almost completed, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law and this place. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place." He was actually carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd. For the mob of the people followed, crying out, Away with him! As Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, he said to the tribune, May I say something to you? And he said, Do you know Greek? Are you not the Egyptian then who recently stirred up a revolt and led the 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness? Jesus replied, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no obscure city. I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. And when he had given him permission, Paul, standing on the steps, motioned with his hand to the people. And when there was a great hush, he addressed them in the Hebrew language, saying, Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we pray you'd please send the Holy Spirit powerfully upon us this morning, that you would pry open our cold hearts, open our ears, and give us grace, Father, that we might hear your voice this morning, believe it, obey it, Father, and rejoice in it. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. I've called my sermon the problem of bearing false witness. All the last few sermons have had the problem of dot, 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 different things going on in the life of the church in Acts that are continuing problems for us today. And We we looked last week at the problem of theological disagreement, and I noted what I hope I don't have to persuade you of, that there is ongoing theological disagreement in our day, that there is a very significant, level of disagreement about theology and the discussion around theology. Well, I I also don't think I have to convince you that there's a problem of bearing false witness. Uh, we live in a world that really doesn't have a category for bearing false witness. It doesn't think in those terms. Of course, the term bearing false witness comes from the English translation of the Bible, Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 20. It's The ninth commandment where God uh, says you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Uh, God commands his people uh, that they are not to bear false witness. And yet we live in a time and an age when virtually anything you say uh, you can defend if you believe it strongly enough. Uh, If it's your opinion strongly held enough. Uh, You can say almost anything you want to say, whether it's true or not, whether it's false or not, hardly matters. It's like, this is my truth. This is what I believe to be true. This is what I think. This is my opinion. And it's gotten to the point, especially in the day of the Internet, when having a strong opinion gives you virtually permission to say anything. Uh, In in your defense of your position, in the argument of your position, people feel freedom to say virtually anything. And it's really gotten out of hand. If you go online these days, if you wander into Facebook. I I just heard yesterday that in Papua New Guinea, on the other side of the world, uh, when you get your cell phone, you very often get Facebook for free. They provide it as a free service to the community. Well, i got to say, I I don't know if it's anything like here in the States, it's one of the least community-minded things you can wander into unless you're really, really, really careful. It's as though all of the, the worst in our community kind of surges to the front, bubbles to the top. And very often, that's the community discourse that we participate in. Some of us have felt so strongly about it and have been so wounded by it at one time or another that a lot of people simply pulled up that drawbridge and said, I'm not going to have anything to do with all of that again. I've got members of my own family who just don't have any use for all those online services. And it is true that those online services are a particularly egregious form of this intense community engagement where people feel free to yell at each other and say virtually anything in their arguments. It is true the Internet has allowed that to be particularly virulent, particularly hurtful, particularly aggressive. But let me tell you, that's actually just a little symptom of a larger problem. That is we've forgotten about truth. We've forgotten about how we are to deal with each other in a neighborhood. The uh, ninth commandment talks about neighbors. And the way we're supposed to communicate, the way we're supposed to deal with each other, is supposed to be a way that promotes a neighborhood, neighborliness, relationship. Well, you see, part of the problem why we have so much ugliness in public discourse is because we've lost that idea of neighborliness. It's possible these days to be so completely isolated that neighbor means almost nothing. You can go a long time today in 21st century Carrollton and never bump into a neighbor in any sense that you can recognize. Well, that's the world in which we live. And in that world, there is, brothers and sisters, a problem of bearing false witness. Uh, It's come up particularly in my mind lately because we're getting ready for the General Assembly of the Presbyterian Church in America that starts in a couple of days. Uh, Please pray for uh, Larry and James and myself. Uh, We're taking a full commission this year to General Assembly to represent you, to go there in the name of MetroCrest Presbyterian Church, to listen, participate in the discussions. And I've been doing a lot of preparation for that over the last few weeks, listening to online Things and and accessing different blogs and all these different internet sources where you can go to get information fast. A lot of it is very, very helpful. But I will tell you, you bump into some of the craziest things, people saying ugly, ugly, ugly things about one another, assuming the absolute worst, spreading outright falsehoods, Bearing false witness in a very literal sense. Saying things about people that simply aren't true. And I would say it's, 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 it's an equal opportunity issue. It's on all sides. In our fit of wanting to be heard, we often say what isn't true and we say it in a hurtful way. Well, all this was kind of, in my mind this week, getting ready for this morning's sermon and the passage in front of us today. If you look at the passage in the ESV Pew Bible, the ESV editors have helpfully called it, Paul Speaks to the People, Paul Arrested in the Temple. Uh, Very, very matter-of-fact descriptions of what happens in these two passages. But what a dramatic scene we have here of people engaging people, not a lot of neighborliness on display. Uh, Actually, what we see is the real depth of the problem, Uh, a problem that will resonate perhaps with us as we think about the world we live. Well, I've only got a couple of headings. The first heading is lies, confusion, and and violence. Uh, This is the first half of the passage, verses 27 through 36 this passage actually begins with a whole set of lies, lies, falsehoods. Verse 27, when the seven days were almost completed, the Jews from Asia, that is from the place where Paul had just been, seeing Paul in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, "Men of Israel, help! This is the man who is teaching." Notice what they say with a hyperbole teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law and this place, this place being the temple in Jerusalem. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. What we're actually going to see is this theological disagreement is spilling over into the way people relate to each other, the way they speak to each other, the way they interact with each other. You'll see often in life that our deeply held beliefs can spill over into the way we deal with other people. We have a lesson to learn, I think, from these two sections. One thing we have to learn about is the reality of lies, confusion, and violence. So we have these terrible lies. It's interesting the lies they tell. Uh, They actually say that Paul is going everywhere telling everyone the same thing. If you pour over Paul's sermons that are recorded in the book of Acts, you will never find Paul speaking anywhere to anyone, let alone everyone and everywhere, against the people, the law, and the place, this place, the temple. You won't find Paul speaking against those things. Yet they say he does it everywhere to everybody he talks to. That's the way they sort of express what he's been going around proclaiming as he seeks to spread the gospel. What a radical, ugly, mean-spirited distortion to twist Paul's words around and to throw these words around in this reckless way, intending to hurt him, intending to incite the people of Israel who were there gathered in the temple for their worship. It's all the more striking because what has just happened in verses 17 to 26 is Paul, in submission to James and the leaders of the church in Jerusalem, Paul has actually gone on a fast. He's actually shaved his heads and done all the the things that you have to do to fulfill the Nazarite vow. He's actually done these things. He's actually gone into the temple to pay this amount of money that was required to be paid to fulfill this Jewish custom. And he's done it. He's gone and done these things, even even going to the extreme to fulfill these requirements that were strictly Jewish customs. He had done all of this in order to show that he did not hate the Jewish people. He did not wish the mill. He was not speaking against the people. He was not speaking against the law. He certainly was not speaking against the temple. Paul actually wanted to show that he was willing to do whatever it took to reach anybody with the good news of the love of Jesus Christ. He had just demonstrated this in this remarkable act of submission. Paul, who has already said, you don't have to become Jewish To become a Christian, that same Paul comes into the the temple of Jerusalem and himself submits to the customs of his culture. And yet, here, just seven days passed, almost passed, and they gather around him. And they start making all these wild claims saying that Paul has been doing this and doing that. They actually accuse him of having violated a Jewish tradition that uh, Greeks were not, that is to say non-Jews, were not supposed to come into the temple courts. They say that he brought Greeks into the temple. He has defiled this holy place. As a matter of fact, he had not done that. He had just been seen around town with with one Gentile, Trophimus the Ephesian. And because they'd seen Paul, they simply jumped to the worst. They made the worst possible accusation in this context. They said, see what he's done. And lie after lie after lie like that is thrown, heaped on Paul. Doesn't take a lot of imagination (laughs) to remember and to to reconnect to what had happened to Stephen. Uh, Stephen, the first martyr, was stoned to death in Jerusalem as Paul watched. The Jewish authorities were so angry at some of the things Stephen said that they, they accused him of lies and they stoned him to death. And even, even more poignantly, uh, what we here see Paul enduring and what we know Stephen endured, in this same place, Jesus had endured. False witnesses who lied, who distorted every word, who twisted everything that he said. So... Here, Paul is simply participating in what Jesus had done, what Jesus had endured, what Stephen had done, what Stephen had endured. Paul is himself here going through the same kind of thing. And the fact is, false witness is something every believer is likely to endure. may not lead to a Scene like this one, but we all endure it in one way or another. Expect to have your words twisted, expect to have your every action put under the worst possible light. That's just the way it goes, that's the world's reaction. So, here Paul's enduring terrible lies that are being hurled at him in verse 31. The result is what always happens. Verse 31. As they were seeking to kill him, word came to the tribune of the cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. Confusion is the inevitable result of, of this kind of false witness, this kind of intense, angry lying, this throwing claims around back and forth. The result is confusion. Uh, The the scene is raucous. You you could just sort of try to picture what is going on. The the things that are happening all around. The people yelling, shouting one thing, and another crowd shouting another thing. The, The horrible confusion. Well, that confusion, if you ask me, sounds a lot like the world where we live. If you throw enough falsehood around and you lie enough, the atmosphere just gets more and more and more confused. And if, I think if there's one word I had to pick to describe where we are in 2021, I think a good contender would be confusion. We live in a very, very confused world. We're confused about everything. We don't know who to trust about anything. What a a mess we have made of everything. The shouting, the uproar in verse 34. the, The yelling, the shouting. It's a horrible picture of where bearing false witness leads. Where lying at this scale leads. It leads to horrible confusion. In verse 35... It leads, verse 35, when he came to the steps, he was actually carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd. They've already been talking about killing him. Well, here in verse 35, they're actually to the point of killing him. The violence of the crowd has gotten so stirred up. That was their very purpose all the way back in verse 28 and verse 27. They were trying to stir up the crowd. And in verse... 36 it comes to that they, they follow Paul crying out away with him which is what they had shouted the kind of thing they had shouted at Stephen the kind of thing they'd even shouted at the Lord Jesus now I mentioned the general assembly um, <laughs> it's not like that uh, exactly but it, I tell you what it it's really important to remember that's where it leads in the discussions we're having in our denomination and our general assembly in a few days uh, there are strong feelings people are expressing themselves in the way we do in our time, and I tell you it's 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 scary sometimes the things we will say about each other, the things we will sometimes charge other people with it's it's a it's a very very sad state of affairs when people can't have a civil discussion but when you start assuming the worst about the other person that's kind of where it goes it leads to confusion and it leads ultimately to a violence of one kind or another maybe it'll lead to the kind of horrible unimaginable violence we read about here in Acts 21, perhaps it will lead to a different kind of violence. The ostracization of people, the rejection of people, the persecution of people, the ugly way we treat each other. A violent spirit that would kill if it could kill. Well, that's what Paul endures. That's where false witness leads. It's a horrible picture. It's a distressing picture. And let me tell you, brothers and sisters, it's a sobering picture for us when we think about the importance of speaking truth. and we think about the importance of not violating the ninth commandment, of not speaking falsehoods about our neighbors, the people around us. That's what a neighbor is. It's the people around us. In whatever sense they're around us. It's speaking falsehoods. And it's it's as though the crowd gets swept into this. They're so stirred up. And let me tell you, when that happens, the devil rejoices. That's his natural environment. is chaos. That's what he longs to see. Disorder, disagreement, disunity. That's what the problem bearing false witness produces. Produces lies, confusion, and violence. Well, of course, there's a a Christian contrast. And the Christian contrast is truth, clarity, and calm. Another the word might be orderliness I like that word, that's a Bible word orderliness there's a, there's a sense in which the Christian response to this horrible confusion and horrible violence is a, a calm orderliness it's, it's not the orderliness of, around something that doesn't matter it's the orderliness among people who know what matters that's what we actually get a little glimpse of it here uh, Paul simply speaks in verse 38 to this tribune he's representing the Roman authorities right? He's, he's the secular power in the world the tribune came up and arrested Paul ordered him to be bound with two chains and the, the tribune did something really simple he, he inquired who he was and what he'd done what a novel idea Rather than throwing lies and half-truths and distortions, the pagan tribune did the simple, obvious thing of asking Paul, who are you? What have you been doing? What do you think? You know, in our world today, we don't do that very much. We don't go to the other side and say, explain your position to me. Help me to understand what you think. We, we immediately assume I don't like their position, and therefore I don't like this person, and I'm going to reject this person. Well, it takes a pagan tribune to do the simple, obvious thing of simply asking tell me. Tell me. Explain to me who you are. Explain to me what it is you've done. Explain to me what it is you believe. And we're going to actually see that. The Gentiles, the pagan authorities here in the remainder of Acts, come off pretty good. They're the ones who simply ask. Sometimes it's it's like that. The the most clueless can sometimes shed some light on how we ought to get along with each other. Just ask. In in, um, St. Louis, in a few days from now, I want to ask. I don't want to make the worst. I don't want to assume the worst. There's a couple of big issues to be praying about. One is human sexuality. One is critical race theory. And things related to these topics will be on the agenda. They'll be discussed. Well, I've got an opinion on both of those things. I bet you have an opinion too. Well, let me tell you, whatever your opinion is, Ask the other person to explain their opinion too. That is not only one of the godliest things you can do, it's also one of the smartest things you can do. Ask. Engage. Talk to them like you would talk to a neighbor. It's so simple really. So that's what the tribune does. He, he asks, and, and Paul answers, verse 34. There were some shouting. This, the confusion goes on. Uh, he could, the tribune couldn't learn the facts because of the uproar. So he came to the steps, and the uh, tribune continues this discussion in verse 37. And Paul simply says to him, may I say something to you? May I answer you? He could hardly hear him. The Tribune, hearing his language, hearing his demeanor, seeing him, says, Are you not the Egyptian then who recently stirred up a revolt and led the 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness? When I read that, my response was, Huh? Why did you think that? Because there was confusion. Because there was no place for actual facts. The Tribune saw something, made some conclusions. And so he asks, are are you you that person? Paul replies, this is beautiful. I'm a Jew. I'm, I'm of this group from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no obscure city. I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. Do you see the humility there? I beg you to permit me to speak to the people. Paul wanted to give an answer. He asked to give an answer. When we're asked, we should show humility. We should engage one another with humility. When the tribune gave permission, Paul stood on the steps, motioned with his hand to the people. And when there was a great hush, he addressed them. And notice how he addressed them in the Hebrew language. And when he began speaking, verse 21, brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. Verse 2, when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. It's Funny, when when Paul sought to speak in a way they could most clearly understand him, there was at least an initial willingness to hear him out. Now, if you know the story, that's not the whole thing. It, It Continues to uh, develop in a certain trajectory, but I love the fact that 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 Paul comes and he speaks to them in the way that we're most likely to understand him. And I think there's some there's some clues to to you and me as as we in our day engage with bearing false witness as 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 we in our day, follow the footsteps of Paul who followed the footsteps of Stephen who follows the footsteps of Jesus to display an attitude of humility to display an attitude of willingness to speak to be understood Paul's actually eager to speak he's eager to make himself clear and he's going to make himself clear and what he shows is, no, the lies aren't true. The lies don't matter. But here's the truth. Respond to the truth. Don't respond to the lies. I had a good conversation uh, recently about a, a, prof- a seminary professor who said once, uh, which is more important, love or truth? And uh, the, the, the thought was, well, you know, which of these two uh, things which are somehow disconnected, love over here, truth over here, which of these is more important? And uh, when when I was told about this engagement in a classroom, I, I found myself thinking, which of those is more important, love or truth, truth or love? Well, see, that's sadly the way the world looks at it. It's... Truth is over here, all yelling and shouting and insisting, and love is over here, kind of not taking a position. Um, In the Bible, which is more important, love and truth? Which of the two is most important? Love with truth. Truth is love. Love is truth. The most loving thing in the world is God's truth spoken to us. The most true thing in the world is God is love. And to try to rip those two things apart is what the world wants to do. That's what so much theological disagreement today is about. It's ripping these two things apart when they're meant to be together. They're, They're not two extremes on a pole and you want to wind up somewhere in the middle, a little loving, a little truthful. No, they're, they're actually meant to be always together, to speak the, lo- the truth in love. It's the most loving thing you can do is to speak the truth in a kind, humble, engaging way. That is loving. And the most truthful thing you can do is to bring the love of the saving God to the person you're talking to. That's, that is Truth.